I like to pretend that in another universe this story has a happy ending, one that I can reminisce on as a tale of true womanhood with a graceful smile of, I did it, this is what true happiness feels like. I want to tell you that the last six months of my life carried on into forever, blending into an origin story that could have saved so many others like myself. But alas, I cannot, and I cannot help but shape the feeling that it was my fault. I will never forget the first time I saw her. It was the first snowfall of 1927, and I could tell that we were in for a frosty winter. But despite the nippy air and sludgy pavements, my mother insisted that we went shopping. No matter what I did, I could not stop the tremble in my hands, the shaking becoming an annoyance to my mother as we made our way towards the shop. Behind me, a gaggle of women followed. My sisters, cousins, aunts, anyone my mother could think to invite tagged along, bringing their loudest voices and irritating enthusiasm with them. Everywhere we went, I worried that we were a walking burden, something that I had become all too used to feeling over the past six months of wedding planning. We had caused chaos in the dress shop, the bakery, every venue we viewed, and now we were on to the last stop. Shopping for shoes for the perfect wedding that was to take place in exactly two weeks. Every head in the shop turned to look at us when we entered, the majority of them centering onto my blushed face as we barrelled in. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a figure rush out from behind the desk, a fake yet comforting smile greeting us at the door. Ladies, welcome to the shoebox. I'm Estelle. How can I help you today? I had never believed in love at first sight, always brushing it off as a romantic cliché used to give people hope. But I swear, the moment I laid my eyes on her, my mind turned to mush. It took me a moment to register what she had said, my attention being stolen away by her enchanting looks. Specifically the roundness to her face, the subtle curvature to her jaw that captured the true essence of her youthful beauty. My admiration for her was instant, an unbearable ache that pounded out of my chest with every thump of my heartbeat, and I had to stop myself from buckling to the ground. My mother elbowed my side, sneering about the fact that she'd drawn a form-fitted suit rather than a respectful knee-length dress. Wedding shoes. I'm here for wedding shoes. Perfect. I'll show you to our bridal section. That was the first time it had ever pained me to say those words. I was getting married. I was getting married to a man that I did not particularly love, but who my mother adored the idea of. Childhood sweetheart, something my family would proudly exclaim to every unsuspecting victim who made the mistake of asking about the upcoming wedding. The idea of getting married made me breathless, in a way that felt like a deafening blow to the gut, but now it felt like something had ripped the life out of me, painting the streets with my past happiness, just to taunt me. I was a traditional woman by definition, but I yearned for more. I wasn't ready to settle down. What is your dress like? We have some lovely satin pumps exported in from Italy. They'll make you look radiant. It was a selling tactic, telling me exactly what I wanted to hear to sell the newest and most expensive pair of shoes. But my God, did it light a fire deep in my stomach. It's a silk gown from a small boutique in London. I've had my eye on it for months now. That sounds beautiful. I think I have the perfect pair for you. I'd spent hours browsing shoes, countless days spent wandering the aisles trying to find the perfect match, but nothing felt right. However, the second I saw her cherry nails offering me the pumps, I couldn't resist. She began to kneel to the ground, taking the second shoe out of the box and gently clasping her fingers around my ankle. These ones are comfortable as well as stylish, so you won't have to change later in the night. They're beautiful. They really suit you. I'm sure they'll look gorgeous with your dress. I was clinging on to every word she was saying, eagerly waiting for what was what she was going to say next, but a small mousy girl interrupted her before she could go on to compliment me. I hadn't intended on listening into their conversation, but my curiosity got the better of me. What were they doing? What did they need to set up? My interest peaked up some more when Estelle excused herself and disappeared behind an employee's only door, nestled in the back corner. 
By now, my cousins had left to tend to their families, my aunts becoming restless and sneaking out for cigarettes that they thought we did not know about, and my mother restlessly paced around the shop, browsing at the different styles. Daphne, my apologies, but I have some business to attend to. Audrey will finish up with you, if that's okay. It was easy to hide my disappointment, because hearing my name fall from her lips had clouded my mind. The syllables dripped off her tongue like honey, smooth, silky, and so easily, almost like she existed just to say my name. I was dedicated to do anything to hear it again, craving the sickly sweet feeling that came with it. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for your help. For a month, I had yearned to return to that shoe shop. I wanted to see her again, to be basked in the warmth of her presence. Since that fateful day, I'd gotten married, spent a week in Dorset for my honeymoon and moved into a cookie-cutter house with a white picket fence. I'd settled and I hated it. That is probably what led me to slipping into the shop ten minutes before closing. Hello, welcome to the shoebox. Can I help you with anything today? Oh, I'm okay, thank you. Audrey, I told you not to let any more customers in. We close in ten minutes. Daphne? She remembered me. It had been a month and she remembered me. An idiotic smile took over my entire face, my cheeks aching the more it grew. Yes, that's me. You helped me pick out my wedding shoes, remember? Your wedding shoes, of course. I assume you're married now? She pointed down to my left hand that had grasped my handbag, my golden wedding band standing out against my paled skin. The disappointment in her face was subtle, but it was crystal clear to me, and a small part of me was thrilled. Yes, about two weeks, actually. We just got back from our honeymoon. The small smile she displayed never met her eyes, clearly just a polite gesture. I basked in her jealousy and disappointment, wanting nothing more for her to break her facade and admit that her heart beat for me. Well, we're going to close soon, but feel free to browse whilst we try and get the rest of the customers out. Audrey, I need you to start setting up for tonight. I stayed close to the desk, busying myself with looking through the shelves just to stay close enough to Estelle to ensure I could still breathe. The final string of customers made their way out the shop, leaving me alone with the two women in, in there. However, before I could make my presence known to voice my goodbyes, my ears pricked at their conversation. There's going to be some big money here tonight, so we need to make an impression. Are you nervous? Why would I be nervous? The woman you're playing tonight hasn't lost a game. Neither have I. I watched Estelle disappear behind the staff-only door once more, the ageing wood creaking shut behind her. Audrey began making her way down the aisles, pausing in her tracks when she saw me still lingering. Oh, Daphne, the shop closed a few minutes ago. I know, I was, I was just waiting for Estelle. I wanted to talk to her about something. Well, she's done for the day, so you probably won't catch her tonight. You should just come back tomorrow. Come on, I'll walk you out. I reluctantly followed her outside, looking back after every step in hopes of catching even the smallest glimpse of her. The sound of the lock turning sealed my fate for the night, the ageing brick walls sealing me away from her. About tonight, are you two hosting something? I overheard you talking about it. It's our friend's birthday. We're holding a small get-together. You were hosting something last time I was here too. Do you have a party service on the side? A lot of friends and a lot of get-togethers. Can I come? My husband isn't home tonight and it would be fun to get out of the house. I... I'm not sure. Like I said, it's a small get-together. Come on, Audrey. I know you're hiding something. Can you just tell me what it is? I can't tell you, but I can show you, only if you promise to keep it a secret. Be here at ten, no later, no earlier. 10pm. It was risky, but I was willing to do it if it meant I could be in her presence again. The desperation consumed me, taking over my whole body in a fiery path, singeing any ounce of sanity that was left. I pulled my coat tighter around my figure as I made my way down the cobbled path, my hands once again shaking uncontrollably. 
I knew it was dangerous. My husband thought I was at home, asleep in bed and being the good housewife that he had branded me as. However, when the glass door came into view and distorted the image of the darkened shop sat ominously before me, I knew I couldn't live up to that. The small shadow of Audrey made her way towards me, the hesitation clear when she paused before opening the door. Estelle is going to kill me when she realises you're here. Just try to blend in. I don't know what I was expecting. It didn't take a genius to see that I was naive, but once we made our way down the darkened corridor that hid behind the Staffoni door, I was opened up to a whole new world. The music thumped from the room, the deep red walls darkening the atmosphere, but it burst to life with laughter from every table. It was like a magnetic field, my subconscious drawing me to her. She was in her element. A radiant smile plastered across her face as her mind span. Game after game she won. She kept winning until finally her gaze lifted to me, the confusion melting into anger when I awkwardly waved at her. She screamed at me, questioning why I was there and demanding answers. Her anger thrilled me, and it continued to thrill me every time I showed my face at the club. From there, I was immersed in a world that terrified and excited me all at the same time. Every Thursday, I would leave the house at 9.15pm, 25 minutes after my husband left for the night shift, and made my way to the shoebox. Estelle claimed to hate me being there, always telling me that she didn't want me sucked up into her world, but every Thursday we snuck away. Hiding behind the walls of her office, countless hours were spent sharing small touches, hushed sweet nothings, and a knowledge of poker that astounded me every time I went for a lesson. I wanted it to last forever. I needed it to last forever. But deep down, I knew that it couldn't. I hadn't meant to tell him, but he ambushed me. Mickey was supposed to be gone. He's always gone, but he had decided to surprise me. A romantic candlelit dinner that filled me with a growing sense of dread. I'll never forget the look on his face when he noticed my attire. I had never dressed that nice for him, and I could do nothing but cower away when he began questioning me. He screamed, screamed until he couldn't scream anymore, and scowled at me when I began admitting my secrets through a series of choked sobs. I tried so hard to keep my mouth shut, but every word he spat at me caused him to grow taller, until finally I was hidden away in the corner. My saviour came in the form of the small mousy girl that I had become acquainted to. Her face screwed up, the horror overtaking when she heard my rushed confession. I knew in that moment that it was over, and I couldn't do anything about it. It. I had to see her one final time. I found it hard to ignore the way Estelle's fingertips singed my skin, the traces of her contact lingering long after she had let go. I'd been so entranced that I had yet to notice the now muffled music, barricaded off by the walls of her office. I couldn't do anything but continue to stare in wonder, my eyes locked on the fiery glare that was protruding through the tension that had settled in a thick cloud around us. My heart broke with every syllable. My whole world was burning to the floor and I couldn't put it out. Pausing in her tracks, Estelle finally met my eye, her love for me spilling down her cheeks in hot streaks. Our love for each other was like oxygen, something we needed to survive, greedy with every breath and taking it for granted, until finally we were suffocated. Welcome back to Green Rose <laughs> Weekly Podcast. Hello. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Georgia. Yes, welcome. Where we, We're going to tell you all the new and weekly gossip. Right, so first, did you hear that Miss Poland is on maternity leave? Really? Yeah, apparently it's twins. Twins? Twins. She's tiny. She is. 
I, w- I wonder how she's gonna. to her yeah i hope it goes well maybe don't crush her boys and girls girls and boys what do you think one of each one of each yeah you always want one of each when it's twins don't you yeah you don't want to say it but you do <laughs> so no i really want to go no you don't no you don't no absolutely not no nah. um so next upcoming exams we've got maths <sighs> yeah we've got maths and english this week i'm more of an english girl myself yeah i so. always sort of go down that route macbeth Blood Brothers. Mm. I don't know. I don't like doing the books. I like all the poems and stuff. Oh, yeah. You're very poetic, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I know. It just flows off the tongue. Um, so next, bathrooms destroyed. Oh. By what? God knows. Did you hear that? No. Oh, okay. Just whatever. Must be my imagination. Yeah. Anyway, these bathrooms, what yeah. happened? Ugh, destroyed. Some... Some people are saying it's ghosts, you know. Ghosts? Ghosts. Well. New low. It's funny you say that. Is it? Because I was talking to one of the, like, old, old teachers that's, like, <laughs> been here since forever. Yeah. Right. And he was telling me about the history of the place. Ooh. So, obviously, Green Rose Avenue has, have, like, has had, like, a reputation for the years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Of being quite the scandalous street. Yeah. But apparently on this plot of land, where this school is right now, yeah. used to be a shoebox. No. Shoebox? <laughs> no. <laughs> used to be a shoe shop. Ah, okay. yeah, okay. And it used to have this club underneath it where women would go to play poker. Oh my God. Um, and it was really scandalous. <gasps> and like, yeah, apparently there was these two women that were like in love. And this is 1920s. So oh, you've got no. to imagine. They're not living. It's not looking good for no, them. No, no. Like, and like she had a husband and he ended up killing both of them. Long story no short. No way. Yeah, it was quite dramatic. And but like sort of like poetically beautiful yeah tragically beautiful almost. writing a story about it <laughs> that's your history paper sorted yeah you're welcome guys <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was i just i think it's really interesting especially with everything that's been happening recently yeah you've got to think about it maybe it's uh maybe it's a sign maybe it's that we're next we're next <laughs> don't don't go wandering the halls on your own yeah <laughs> don't stay in the school too long <laughs> Not after dark, anyway. No, no, no. Which is a bit hard when it's coming up to winter. Yeah. You're leaving school and it's pitch black. Yeah. It's not great. Nah. Did you hear near this area? You know, you know the old people's homes? Oh, the old people's homes. Oh, it smells like mothballs when you walk past that. It's not, yeah, and the weird ones that look outside as well. <laughs> Steer through the window. Um, but yeah, th- that place is really haunted too, I bet. Really? Yeah. You've got to think of how many old people must die there. I bet they've got some really interesting stories, though. Yeah. Like, ooh, it's... <laughs> ooh, it makes me weird to think about it. <laughs> I wonder what, like, old people ghosts would look like. <laughs> really old, I can <laughs> <No>. imagine. <laughs> um, can you imagine waking up with an old lady at the bottom of your bed? How scary that would be. Imagine, like, you wake up and there's an old lady in your rocking chair. Ooh, why would you put that image into my head? You wake up. That's my chair. <laughs> That's mine. Go away. You know how I was talking about bathrooms earlier? Mm-hmm. Did you hear two students in the second floor? Where's this going? Not where you would like it to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, continue. Two students 
Second floor bathroom, getting at it. Uh, uh, oh, God, Caleb. <laughs> Caught by the one and only Miss Poland. Oh, that poor woman. <laughs> just as about, she's, just as she's she, about to go on maternity yeah. leave as well. I wonder if she gave him any tips. <gasps> <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> you, you have to think about it, though, don't you? I don't really want to, though. <laughs> you don't if, want to, If I'm being like... honest with you. It's not something I particularly want to think about. You never know. Mm, I do know. <laughs> it's not. Some people are into that. Okay. Shall we move on? This is a school broadcast. Yeah, this is a school broadcast, Caitlin. Just remember that. Um, sorry, teachers. <laughs> so, unfortunately, mm-hmm. for our regular listeners, we have some sad news. No way. This could possibly be our last episode. What? <laughs> it's yet to be determined, but if you read the last uh, newsletter, then you'll know that we've had some budget cuts around the school, yeah. and it's it's not looking good, guys. No. I'm going to be We're honest with you. We're going to have to resort to phone microphones. Oh, God. It's not looking good. Um, so it's looking like the school might be passed over to the government. Yeah. So, and we what? don't... We don't know what's going up on top of it. We Most could... likely a shopping centre, let's be honest. Yeah, or student flats. Oh, they're everywhere. They're the whole everywhere. city. Yep. It's a jungle of student flats. Um, but we hope whoever is on it next enjoys it. Don't die. Don't die. Um, because there's plenty of spirits wandering these halls yep. and we don't really need to add to that. No hauntings either. No hauntings, please. Um, so yeah, I, It would be interesting to see if anyone does a Ouija board, though. Yeah. I wonder how many people they'd get through. Because there's a lot of history on this place. They'd be like, line up, please. Line up. <laughs> One at a time. One at a time. Get your tickets. <laughs> come through. So The whole ghost stuff. Yes. Very back to ghosts. Yeah, back to ghosts. So, very interesting. When I was a little kid, apparently I was sleeping nice and soundly in my crib. Right. And this ghost starts talking through the baby monitor. Ooh. It was like, I'm here for you. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Mum was very freaked out. I can imagine. I can she put, imagine. like, she, she did all the incense and everything. Oh, my, my sister-in-law's big into incense. Is she? Big into incense. It actually, when we went on holiday last, yeah. we went up to an abandoned chapel that was near our holiday home, and we found a seance. Oh. Just just casually. Yeah. Um, they were burning what I could only assume was a copy of the Bible, which is absolutely horrific. Um, and so we were there, and as I bent down to pick something up, yeah, um, she screamed at me, don't do that, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, so obviously I listened, because she seemed very distressed. Anyway, the next day, it didn't help that she had gone and found a crystal shop oh. and bought, like, 50 quid's worth of sage. Oh, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Um, just to clear the bad spirits... Um, so yeah, pretty traumatising. Did find a frog though. Did you? Did find a frog. Could have been a result. Um, I believe that the frog was human before we found the sacrifice. Well, yeah. seance. Yeah. Um, and that could have possibly been the outcome. Yeah. Could be, it could be the live action of... Princess and the Frog? Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't going to kiss it though. Was you not? No. It could have been your true love. Uh, could it have been it was slimy and it was in a muddy puddle so well I, if princess so. if the princess could do it so could you she's a cartoon character <laughs> caitlin not to destroy the hopes and dreams of any children out there but she's a cartoon character <sighs> destroying lies by the day have i just ruined your childhood no 
Oh, well, I'm glad for that. Ruined my sisters, though. Oh, dear. Princesses. Interesting. Interesting. Dogs more. Dogs more interesting. Yeah. Everyone loves dogs. Yeah. The royal family, mm, not so much. Mm, they have a lot of corgis. That is or true. Or had, anyway. Had. Mm, that's they've a bit been, sad. They've been sheared out, haven't they? Mm. Have you got any dog stories? Um, I've got one. Have you? So, in my living room, there is a light hanging from the ceiling, and it's it's not a chandelier, because we're not posh. Yeah. And we're not rich. Mm. But it resembles the shape, almost the structure of a chandelier. Yeah. Um, and when my sister used to live with us, mm-hmm. I would sit on the sofa and I would stare at this chandelier. Bit creepy. Just a bit. And this was like four-year-old me, maybe like inching into five. Yeah. Like child, creepy child, don't really know much about ghosts yet. Yeah. And whenever she would ask me what I was looking at, I was always say, I'm looking at the dog dog. on the ceiling. Yeah, there was a dog on the ceiling apparently. Uh, And when I described this dog to my mom, it was her dead Jack Russell. So yeah. Um, now, obviously, very imaginative child. Yeah. You know, thought I could hear the gruffalo roaring outside my bedroom window. Never did. Just active imagination. Yeah. So it could have possibly been me seeing a picture of this dog. Yeah. And then adding it into... The light. The light. But who knows? Maybe it was the the spirit of Sparky. We never know. Yeah. Bit ironic that he's called Sparky sat on a light in it. Yeah. That light did go out a few times as well. It was him. It was him. That's Speaking of dog stories, I've got one of my own. Oh. Yeah. A bit a bit weird. Okay. But hang on. I can take weird. Can you? Yeah. When I when I was a little kid. Right. Little kiddo. Um we had we had um an unknowingly grieve in our garden. As you do. Yeah, playing around in the garden, trip into it. There was a dog's grave. Oh. Yeah. Had nightmares for weeks. Like after. how how big was this dog? Labrador size. So big dog. Big dog. Small child. Yeah. Not great. Yeah. So you fell in the grave. Fell in the grave. Bones? Yeah. Decaying bones. bones. Was it already decayed? Just bones. Bones. We're just we're just gen- gen- just generally speaking. Yeah, bones. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was horrible. I had week- nightmares weeks and weeks after. I can imagine. I used to have nightmares after we were forced to read The Ghost Dog in primary. Primary? Yeah. Primary. It was traumatic. Um, And when my teacher asked me how I was going to overcome this fear, I said I'd suck it up in the hoover like Ghostbusters, but (laughs) it never worked. Did it not? Oh, wow. I'm so shocked by that. (laughs) I can't believe it didn't work. I really thought it did. I really thought I was outsmarting everyone there. Yeah. I thought this Imagine you running around with a vacuum in the air. This is my million dollar idea. Who are they going to call? Georgia Straw. That's Georgia who they're going to yeah. call. <laughs> we went off topic a lot that time. Yeah, sorry about that. But it's it's the chemistry thing, isn't it? Kate yeah. and me and you were great together. <laughs> uh, we should mention it. Anyways, so that was it for this week. Yeah. Maybe our last week. Maybe our last week. So thank you so much for yeah. joining us. We hope it's not our last time, but if it is, farewell. Good yeah. luck with your futures and stay in school. Don't do drugs. And don't die. Yeah, from ghosts. Yeah, don't die from ghosts. That'd be horrible. It would be, yeah, horrible. Horrible, anyway. yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I thought that was horrible. <laughs>
Plaza rose before Cain, a monolith of concrete standing imperiously against the coastal winds. Balconies littered its four faces, their banisters adorned with layers of snow that glistened in the moonlight. Blinking, sunken eyes, hundreds of them, watching Cain. The snow was almost a festive torch, he thought as he stared up at Green Rose's impossible figure, even in a place like a dead zone. The holiday spirit did not shake him. Cain maneuvered through the blocked straits, cope buffeting in the steady snowfall, and emerged from an alley by one of Green Rose's many entrances. Smoke and fog lapped the borders of the courtyard between it and Cain, languidly eddying off to consume the rest of the city. He approached the door, two thick slabs of metal sealed shut, and pointlessly tried the sensor. Nothing. Not even the groan of electronics as they trivially were to ding at him. The system was completely dead. What were you expecting? His own voice, mechanically muttering through the respirator strapped to his face, almost came as a shock to him as it echoed through the open air. With a sigh, Kane raised his Omni-Tool, a lower-end model strapped to his hand like a brace, and flicked one of its shoddy switches. The exposed innards of the device sputtered to life, panels and wires shifting to lift the small torch head above his knuckle. Kane pressed another button, and a blue flame erupted from the mouth of the torch, whipping wild shadows against the door. He clenched his augmented hand into a tight fist to protect his fingers, and grant him some accuracy as he began to work on the door. Starting with the top, he drove the flame between the gap and slowly worked his way down, the metal hissing and spitting sparks at him as it melted into oozing streaks. Warmth flooded the parts of his face that were exposed, pleasantly thawing it from the bitter frost. Stray sparks ricocheted onto his skin, but even those white-hot stings came as a relief to his numb body. As if to deter him, the icy winds picked up while Cain worked. Carrying debris, balls of ice and the might of winter itself, they furiously crashed against his back. The courtyard was alive with terrible howling, echoes of the city. But these portentous wails fell on deaf ears. He was here to do a job, one he insisted on seeing through to its end. Hunched over, Kane finally reached the bottom of the door and shut off the torch. Fierce vestiges of heat fading from his hand. Molten metal like liquid fire dribbled down the jagged edges of the door slit and sizzled in the snow by Kane's feet. He dipped a hand into his coat and poured out his pry bar. A sleek tool rusted from other, inquisitive intrusions. For leverage, he jammed the bar into the gap he had carved out and wrapped his modified hand around the grip. Phantom strength, spawned from the brace, suddenly rushed into his fingers, pulling his muscles taut with furious power. Kane pushed on the bar, and the door let out a low whine as it slowly slid open, revealing the void within. He put away the bar and stared into the dark, the stub of his missing left ring finger throbbing painfully. He ran his thumb over the scarred tissue, feeling out the etches and bumps, a habit that had long since evolved into a sobering exercise. A wordless question he asked to no one but himself, and yet he still expected an answer from... somewhere. He had broken into dusty dens and unearth-forgotten corners of the world for clients before, any investigator worth their money would, but to travel into the rotten heart of a dead zone was a line not even the most dedicated worker could imagine crossing, and yet, here he was, staring down another of those hidden cavities, though one that was worse than forgotten. It was dead, a churned up corpse defiled with spectral strings to mimic the living in a pointless act. The wind howled and harshly swept across Kane's face, a final warning. He ignored it and stepped into the darkness.
The razor edge of Kane's torch sliced through the dark, illuminating the hallway that stretched out before him. The light caught a thin smog rolling through the hall like a midnight coastal fog, its puffy tendrils tinged a pastel yellow. Through the sickly veil, Kane could make out graffiti plastered on the sleek metal walls and mountainous piles of rubbish cluttered outside the apartment doors. Everywhere he stepped, some form of debris crumpled beneath his boot. He kicked a pram out of the way, its aged wheels creaking as it rolled into the dark, and took a breath. It came through his mask as a tinny wheeze and left a lingering taste of garlic in his mouth. The air in here was no safer to breathe than the fog stalking the courtyard outside. To make the night a little more bearable, Kane decided that he needed to find a way to get the filtration system back online. Kane's presence roused the building from a deep slumber, the way a dusty old house begrudgingly greets its new inhabitants. Distant pipes hissed, empty rooms bristled against the icy drafts and the creaking inner of walls snuck up on Kane, nipping at his ears. Holes like veins, they spanned the length of the complex, new blood surging through them for the first time in years. Kane stopped routinely to check his map of the building's layout, lest he find himself lost within the labyrinth of apartments. Fortunately, the ground floor was nowhere near as dense as what awaited him on the upper levels. The commercial district was close, he deduced, while squinting at the faded map. Only a few more turns to go. The central market was a husk. Withered stores that had long since been gutted of their wares cluttered the main floor. The tenacious smog from the apartment weaved between their alleys, sniffing out the few scraps that remained. Among the graveyard, lifeless lights dangled from ranshackle signs like old discarded bones. As he descended the stairs into the market, Kane imagined what it would look like a decade ago. Garish neon lights blooming over the heads of bustling crowds a raucous cacophony of noise thundering up as far as the penthouse apartments while residents and merchants alike haggled over prices. That was all a far-off image now. The commotion reduced to whispery hisses that Kane could almost hear slithering through the complex. Anywhere else, the investigator might have preferred the market's current state, even in such dilapidated conditions, forgotten buildings were like a veteran's scars or rusted artifacts. There was a history to them, one that Kane could infer in the peace and quiet of solitude. But Greenrose was different. Walking through Greenrose did not feel like exploring a relic of the past. Walking through Greenrose felt like sloshing through the decaying boughs of a beast long dead, the stench of everything that it had churned up in its life sickeningly clinging to Kane's skin. Yet, he was unsure if it was merely a notion spawned from his deep intimacy with the building. He tread through the market until he was standing at its shriveled heart, surrounded by broken odds and ends, strange trinkets and rotten waste, none of which interested him. He searched the floor for a few minutes, kicking about rubbish to clear a space, until he uncovered a stain beneath a dusty piece of cardboard. It was a muddy splatter, faded but stubbornly ingrained into the concrete. When Kane focused his light on it, a brick-red tinge was extracted like an old wine preserved after all these years. Kane had seen a number of upsetting sights over the course of his career. He remembers, when he was still a baby-faced constable, 
being on the scene of a domestic disturbance after being called in during one of his first patrols. A girl, no older than 15, was screaming on a doorstep while a paramedic tried to calm her down. The bridge of her nose had been cracked open, blanketing her face with a crimson veil, and her teeth had been smashed into a liquidy mess, all courtesy of her father's forehead. Yet he managed, like the good copper that he was. A few years after that, there was an accident on Blaker Street. The paint of that image had yet to dry too, the red paste strung within the crumpled heap of metal acting as a relentless reminder of the fragility of his ilk. But standing here, staring at the dried, impossible bloodstain beneath his feet, Kane's composure started to crack. His stomach roiled fiercer than any ocean, and his throat burned with the sting of putrid bile. His vision began to blur into a haze and his head thrummed with painful pulses. He slid the cardboard back over the stain to stop the torrent from spilling out. Chest heaving, he closed his eyes and tried to catch his breath. This wasn't the time for that. It never was. When he opened his eyes, Kane was gazing up at the fathomless moor above. Oriented in a square spanning the borders of the market, the complex's other upper levels were tightly stacked on top of one another, to an impossible height. It gave Kane a sense of vertigo as he stared up into that expanse, feeling as if he could fall right into it at any minute. Something jolted him out of his trance. Pinprick lights on one of the middle floors gleamed in the dark like pairs of eyes caught in the moonlight, wolfishly staring back at him. There was still a modicum of life rattling around the building after all, but Kane would have to see to that after finding the maintenance shaft. <laughs>